0: Welcome to the Alia Graphic Podcast. I'm Jurgi Urrutia from Kingston Libraries in Victoria, speaking from Boomborong land of the Kulin Nation, and sovereignty was never ceded. We need a treaty. Today, we have an amazing guest who's just published an incredibly powerful graphic novel, Still Alive, Notes from Australia's Immigration Detention System. Sabdar Ahmed is a comics creator, an academic, and also a member of a death metal band.
1: <laughs> How are you going, Sabda? Very good. Thank you, Jorgi. Thanks for having me.
0: It's it's a pleasure. I've been wanting to talk to you for, for a while. So uh, I'm following your work quietly in the background. <laughs> so um first thing, how's the how's the release of Still Alive going?
1: Oh, it's really good. Um, it's so far it's been received very well, uh, which is great to see. Um It's just starting to get some reviews, which is good. And what's most pleasing is that a few people, um, including in the community of refugee supporters, have got in touch. And some people are are sort of advocating for it to be in libraries and to be in high schools. And that's really the dream for me, is to get it in the hands of young people, particularly in high schools. So, yeah, fingers crossed the graphic novel will, We'll, we'll get out there to, to try and make some change in people's perceptions and attitudes. Um, oh, and also I should start by saying, I'm I'm speaking to you from um, Ashfield in Sydney, which is the traditional land of the Gadigal and Wangal people of the Eora nation, where we have um, a studio for Refugee Art Project, which is the community organization that I volunteer with, which I'll also talk about in this podcast a little bit.
0: We'll definitely talk about it, yes. Uh, yeah, um, it's it's great that it's uh, been so well received and definitely I think this is a, a really significant work that, uh, you know, libraries should really embrace and have and, and schools as well. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about that. But um, we'll talk about Still Alive later. Um, mm. Did you read comics as a kid? Uh, and if so, which ones?
1: Uh yeah. I love answering this question, um, I, I did. I, when I was quite young, I read Asterix comics. Yep. I really loved the humor and the cartooniness of those. Um, but then I guess as a teenager, the thing that really lit the fire for me and, and got me into drawing comics was The Amazing Spider-Man. Um, at our school, there was a, a dumpster at the back of our school And news agents back in those days used to throw away unsold copies. They would cut the title um, out to get some sort of refund, but the actual book or magazine would be thrown away. And so I was going through the dumpster and found a copy of Amazing Spider-Man illustrated by Todd McFarlane. My first true comics love was was Todd McFarlane. I, I wanted to draw like him. Copying Spider-Man poses and his sticky webbing, and I think I related to Spider-Man because it's the classic, you know, teenage character. I think he has a lot of angst, he has a lot of hang-ups, he's got a guilt complex. So I, I think I related to um, the fragility of Peter Parker, and um, that really got me into collecting. Then I used to go to a comic shop every month and start buying up titles like spider-man and punisher and a lot of the superhero things so that was uh yeah that was what really got me into it and then i discovered the artists that i love i used to follow artists that was when i discovered bernie wrightson and some of the horror artists who i oh, wow. really love yeah. and still still collect to this day
0: wow uh yes you you've um you've mentioned some of my uh big highlights as well uh, growing up like asterix uh I I read them endlessly, endlessly, yeah, and I read right. everything written by Goscinny that I could, you know, get my hands on.
1: And they're so funny. A lot of the humor I can only appreciate it now as an adult. I don't. Yes. I think a lot of it went over my head when I was a kid. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely
0: works on both levels. You know, as a kid you laugh, but there's yes. a lot that goes over your head. Definitely. And then uh, I have to say, the, the first two series that I started uh, buying of uh, superhero comics were Thor and Spider-Man. So
1: Okay. So
0: right. yeah, they, they, they were the two that connect, I connected with. One because I loved, um, I've always loved Norse mythology mm-hmm. and the other one because of what you said, you know, it's, it's a character that, that as a young person you can relate to, you know, um, he's fragile he's got problems he's struggling yeah. with life and superheroing and everything and friends and he gets bullied and all those things that's, you know that's what
1: makes him relatable exactly yeah.
0: <laughs> and and in terms of horror oh man bernie brightson yes he
1: yeah yes Ben, a friend showed me his, his um, Frankenstein book and the illustrations he did for Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And that was it. When I Once I saw those, I was just in love with rights and style.
0: I, I think I discovered him in the Creepy magazine.
1: Ah, yes. Yeah. yeah fantastic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. So we share a love of horror as well. That's good. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, uh, well, uh, the next question was going to be what artists or comics have influenced you as a creator? But uh, you've already mentioned uh, a few.
1: Yeah. But... Yeah, I think the stuff that really influences me today in terms of the comics that I want to make um, would definitely be a lot of the the classic underground stuff. So, obviously, Art Spiegelman's Mouse, Alison Bechdel's Fun Home. I love Julie Desette. Um, Dirty Plot is is a, you know, I love that series. Um, Who else? Yeah, mostly sort of things that are quite raw and autobiographical, some form of truth-telling. Joe Sacco's Graphic Journalism is wonderful. His books on Palestine um, and Bosnia. So, I guess that's the stuff that really inspires me in terms of themes and content, you know, and trying to do something Different with comics, trying to make them more more about real life and and uh, specifically relating to experience.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, I, actually, last year Joe Sacco published his newest book, Paying the Land*. And for me, that was uh, that, yeah. that was uh, the, that was for me. I think the graphic novel of the year, you know, or the one that I most eagerly awaited for.
1: Mm, I still haven't read that one, but yeah, I look forward to it. I love his stuff; it's fantastic. Yeah,
0: uh, uh, yeah, and and when I was reading Still Alive, I, I could, I could sense, you know, some parallels between uh, between what he does and what you're doing. Um, yes, we may talk about it later, but yeah. Also, uh, I felt uh, we'll talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> You've published uh, also. Um, some zines, web comics on different topics. Um, mm. Some of them can be read on, on your website, actually. Um, so maybe you can speak about your approach to comics. And I feel like in all of them, uh, there, there's uh, some comics journalism or graphic medicine approach.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I think in many cases, my comics are motivated by a personal... Um, concern or cause that I believe in, or something that resonates me, I do want to make fictional work in the future, which is you know more imaginative as well. But at the moment, I feel a pressing need to sort of do things which are more autobiographical, and so um, graphic medicine um, <clears throat> is a fascinating and emerging field. It's a very philosophical field for me i think it's not just about communicating illness narratives it's not just about education or or you know teaching the public about medical issues i think it's also a way of thinking about medical ethics and the whole fulcrum of medicine and the relationships between patients and doctors and and deep moral questions as well so i find graphic medicine really interesting it brings science and storytelling and you know um medical ethics and all of those things together yeah. and so i've done a few collaborations in that and also i suffer from crohn's disease um and so i've done an autobiographical combat my experience of of having crohn's disease as well so i think yeah the real world is very complex and engaging and i still want to interpret my place in the world you know and, and describe that in my comics so probably even when I do fictional work, it'll still be quite strongly personal in some way. Um, and that's the sort of work that really inspires me and, and and interests me. So a lot of it is, I guess, me, you know, bumbling through the world and trying to figure out my place in it. I think that's
0: yeah.
1: one of the great purposes of art, you know, is to understand yourself in relation to the other and the world around you.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, um... I feel like uh, comics yeah, is a really good medium for these kind of really personal stories, you know? And yes. we're seeing some really uh, amazing groundbreaking work coming out, you know? Um, we've mentioned already a few um, today. So, so that, that's, that's awesome. But one of the last ones that you've done, uh, I think <laughs> one of the last ones, because it's a pretty recent one is um, Alone Together uh which was uh, published in the guardian i believe uh yes. and uh, it's uh, you know it looks at how all the people from diverse cultural and linguistic backgrounds coped during the lockdowns last year
1: uh, mm.
0: how did this collaboration come about
1: uh, i was contacted by roof de souza who's a researcher at rmit in melbourne and she was part of an interdisciplinary team of researchers who interviewed older people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds to see how they coped during the lockdowns in Melbourne, which were more severe than Sydney, as we know. And so they did the interviews uh, in late 2020. And I think it was about seeing how technology could help older people connect, but also technology can be an issue for older people. In many cases, it was, it was too difficult to use or alienating, or just too unfamiliar. So that was a nice way to sort of to make a comic out of that research was a good way to translate the research and the human stories behind it, to a wider audience. So that was the main purpose of that. And I can relate because my parents struggle with technology as well you know my father um I couldn't visit him during the lockdown so he and his partner um you know could only talk on the phone they weren't they're not great with with um Facebook and, and other sorts of social media platforms so too my mum I mean I still have to help her just just to send emails so so I could relate to to some of it to those issues as you know um um seeing it in my own family so so that was that was a nice one I think to try and remind people generally that we need to care better for our elderly people
0: yeah and it, it, it's great to see um as you said a multidisciplinary uh project or a research project and you know from um, universities and academics uh you know contacting a comics creator and 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 collaborating in this kind of project you know so I, I think um that's that's awesome it's really really good and i think we're seeing uh more things like this you know uh, in some newspapers and some magazines as well so it's
1: a yes good... i i think i think graphic journalism or, or graphic storytelling in australia is still pretty unknown compared to in countries like france where newspapers sometimes also. You know, like um, Courier International would publish um, graphic journalism and graphic comics, you know, nonfiction comics. So I feel like we have a way to go. But uh, yes, it's a very engaging and exciting medium because it's multimodal, right? It's visuals. There's the subjective element of the drawings. There's also the text, which could be um, very deep academic material. Um, and so I think it's very exciting because it brings all of these, these levels together.
0: Changing the topic maybe a little bit, but uh, could you talk about the Refugee Art Project and how it got started and what you do? Uh, uh, it's still active, uh, uh, I imagine. and Yeah,
1: yeah, sure. So Refugee Art Project began a bit over 10 years ago. Um when I and some friends started visiting the Villawood Detention Centre. And it began very serendipitously. It was really a case of a friend of mine said, oh, I've I've been going to Villawood. And this was under the last Labour government. Um, And I had heard that it was, you know, um, pretty bad, but I hadn't ever been. And I was very curious to go. So I said, oh, look, I'd love to come along and, and see what it's like. Um, But at the time, I thought, oh, I don't really want to just go in there and gawk at people like some human zoo and then walk out again. Maybe there's something I can do. Maybe I can, you know, bring something or or something like that. And then I thought, well, I love drawing, so I'll just take a few sketchbooks and see if anyone wants to draw. And that was pretty much how Refugee Art Project began. It was very loose and unstructured um, in that sense. And... um, so some friends and i would go every week and we just established some gatherings in the visitors area of the detention center where we would meet people we would all eat <clears throat> barbecue again from a fantastic lebanese place in granville the Janna chicken shop and we'd talk and um and if people wanted to they would draw and relax you know that way and or maybe learn to pick up some new skills in drawing mm-hmm. many people hadn't drawn before in their lives most of our uh, people we engaged with, um, you know, um, hadn't made art before, some had, but most hadn't. And from that drawing circle, some really powerful images and work and and narratives emerged. And then we collectively thought, well, let's, why don't we have an exhibition and also use this as, as a type of advocacy. And so we started having exhibitions from about the middle of 2000 than 11. And essentially, the, the message of Refugee Art Project, or rather the the purpose of Refugee Art Project is I think, to fulfill that community role, you know, it's a community art organization. So it's really about um, establishing and forming relationships where people feel safe, where they feel like they can um, trust you and be trusted, in a sense, to say yes or no to any project idea and where they can lead projects as well and have their own ideas about what they want to do. And so we met a lot of um, people in Villawood from Iran and Afghanistan and Sri Lanka and Myanmar. And um, we went for many years for about five or six years going every week to Villawood. And eventually, those people would be released from detention. Many were in there on average two years, but some for as long as five or six years. Yeah. And Then they were placed in Western Sydney on temporary visas. Um, and for a while, they were really punished. Sometimes they weren't allowed to work. They weren't given Medicare. They weren't given housing. They're relying on charities. They're relying on refugee support organizations. So life has been still been very tough for people in the community. Um, and so most of the people who who I and my friends met 10 years ago, um, we still get together and they still don't have permanent protection and they still don't have um, family reunion. And so they're still in limbo, essentially, even though they were recognised as refugees sometimes eight or nine years ago. So that, that type of um, punitive, uh, punishing sort of, restrictions that they've been under are continuing so Refugee out project tries to communicate all of that um, to the public i hope to sort of dispel the misconceptions and challenge the um the false um, information that people get from our government about refugees so um <clears throat> we still meet here in ashfield in sydney's inner west We have a community space here now where all the people we originally met in detention, um, plus new people are able to come here and make art. And the most exciting thing is um, we're not really tied to funding goals and and deliverables. We're able to just exist and get together and have barbecues and that sort of thing. And then the, the collaborations and the creative work sort of happens spontaneously. And that's yeah. been real joy of it, just to see people doings on their own terms. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so, of course, this graphic novel is also a sort of something that sprung out from it. In a way, I was quite inspired by the drawings I saw other people doing in detention. Um, I comics because I love comics so some of some of our friends did amazing comics whilst they were in Villawood little one-page stories to sort of describe their sometimes their daily life in detention and issues like that so that's a really fascinating window onto their experiences and some of that work really inspired me to create Still Alive which is why Still Alive also features work by other people. It features work which was made in the Villawood Detention Centre um, by the refugees we'd sort of, um, we were getting to know. And that was important as well, to sort of um, bring their agency and their hand and eye and their drawing into the comic. So it's not just me only telling other people's narratives, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. In fact, in, in Still Alive, you uh, you you tell the stories of people in detention, so, so some of whom have become uh, friends. Uh, yes, and, and it's a big responsibility to to tell the stories, and and of course the stories belong to them, but it's mm. also a very deeply personal book for you. So mm. how how did you navigate that that balance?
1: Yeah, um, I think if I wasn't good friends with them, and if I hadn't known them for many years, um, I don't think I would want to do the book. I don't think it would have, I would have wanted to do it. I, I would not want to do it the way I think most journalists go about extracting stories. I think when journalists talk to refugees, it's often an extractive relationship, right? They usually, and I saw it many times go to the detention center, They would say sometimes with false promises of helping people they would say look i can do a story about you or i can you know make the public aware um and then they would take that person's narrative and um, make the story but often the the person who told the story would be feeling sort of um used you know Um, And it didn't always help them. Sometimes the opposite. Sometimes people would be punished for speaking to the media. So I saw situations where the results weren't always um, in the best interests of people in detention. Um, And so I think in terms of this, it had to be a collaboration based on relationships of friendship and trust, basically. And so the fact that I was close and good friends with most of the people in the book wasn't an issue or wasn't problematic in terms of, of you know, the creative process. Actually, it was essential for it, you know, because I was consulting with them. The main character in the book is Haida, uh, which is not his real name, that's a pseudonym. And his is the story that sort of threads through the graphic novel from when he was very young to pretty much to today. And um, so that was the one where I felt the most, um, responsibility, I guess. But fortunately, he and I are very good friends. So I was able to show him the draft at every step. And every time I did a new chunk of his narrative, um, I would show it to him, you know, and he would correct it and say, Oh, this didn't, you know, this didn't exactly happen like that, or that thing didn't look like that. And so we would try and get it as right as possible. And that that meant a lot, you know, because I want him to also feel ownership of it. And I want him to to um, feel as though I'm doing my best to do his narrative justice, and so, yeah, that's that was really important, and um, so I'm kind of happy that 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 there is that that sense of trust and consultation.
0: Yeah. Now, if, if we go back just a little bit, so if we go back to about 2015, I believe it is. You know, mm-hmm. uh, suddenly you somehow partnered with GetUp to publish Villabood notes from an immigration detention center and you win a Walkley Award for it. Uh, how did the partnership with GetUp come about?
1: Yeah, sure. So that was the beginning of what became Still Alive. Um, GetUp did a call out, I think in, in 2014 or late 2014, sometime. Um, and it was asking for alternative journalism on the refugee issue. The campaign was called The Shipping News and it was actually crowdfunded. So it couldn't have happened without ordinary people's donations to that that crowdfunding campaign. And so I applied to that and got accepted and that was what enabled me to do the Villawood webcomic. Um, And then that was the one which, Won the Walkley Award in the artwork category in 2015, so um, yeah, I should probably thank all the ordinary people who cared enough to donate to that campaign back then, um, because that was what gave me the push to do that webcomic. Um, and <clears throat> at that point, I'd been visiting Villawood for about four years, so that's when Still Alive begins. And I and um, I guess to go back to the other the point test made you know the people who were in that comic were the people who I'd already gotten to know over those 4 years so I think it was a good time to do that and then um once that came out and was well received then 12 panels approached me 12 panels press my publisher approached me and said hey do you want to turn this into a book and that was when I thought yes let's do it and I'm going to have to make it completely different i'm going to have to add a lot of material and really make this comprehensive you know and address all of the most important issues that i thought needed to be said about australia's refugee detention system and that that happened in late 2015 and i've been working on it since then so it's taken a good five to six years to get this done
0: yeah 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 because um yeah it was mentioned to me um a very long time ago and uh, i always kept thinking is that going to be published to or not I, <laughs> I have to ask bernard uh, next time i see him you know and he was like yeah 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 he's working on it he's working on it okay.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i think when i first uh spoke to 12 panels in late 2015 i think i said this will only take me a year or maybe a year and a half So I was really optimistic. And then every year, I would email them and say, Oh, look, I need I need another six months, maybe a year. Um, And I became I I felt terribly guilty, because every year I would put it off. But now I know that's quite normal for graphic novels. That's just the huge amount of work that goes into them.
0: Yes, definitely. Now, um, the the text and the stories are quite powerful in themselves. But uh, something that really struck me was also the metaphors and visuals Aye. you've chosen to, add, add, you know, they, they add another dimension to it. So while the stories are very grounded and very real, uh, we see melting people, waves that envelop a whole page. There's a form of visual poetry here at play that uh, you know maybe you could talk about uh, a little bit. You know, how do you go about finding this visual language for? still alive
1: sure um i think still alive is trying to give a representation to experiences which are so awful that they're sort of difficult to wrap words around um <clears throat> and so on one hand a lot of it is drawn in a documentary style in which i am just representing you know episodes, for instance, of someone's narrative in a pretty straight way. But then there are bits where, um, as you say, I'm using more of a symbolic language. Um, And I felt like that was essential to try and give a sense of the awfulness and the horror of what Australia does to people in detention. Um, And for that, I draw on Horror imagery, as we've said, you know, I'm a, I love, I grew up watching horror movies and reading horror fiction. Um, and so I love the genre and I love, particularly love the way horror can be used as a, a vehicle for social critique. I've always found horror very thought-provoking because it does claw at social anxiety. It does claw at the things that we often repress or or don't want to face up to and so I feel like horror has a lot of potential it has been used over the years you know to make all kinds of social criticisms and so that's what I particularly love about the the genre and so for that reason I bring in some horror symbolism yes there are bits where characters melt or crumble um there's the bit at the end where I sort of melt a puddle of goo and then sort of come out of it this kind of reanimating corpse sort of climbing out of the gunk um, yeah. that it was specifically inspired by a sequence from the film Hellraiser um, yeah. by Clive Barker which I love so there's a few little references in there which I hope um, helps to somehow capture things which you can't wrap words around yeah. there's also um, black and white illustrations between the chapters, um, or rather specifically, they're sort of white on black illustrations in which I used a white pen um, onto black paper. And those also um, consciously evoke imagery from uh, the German expressionist movement and the 1930s silent comics, which I love, which were influenced by silent films at the time. Comics by Franz Miseriel and Lynn Ward and those people who, who had a very strong social justice um, angle. Uh, they were like anti-fascist works, many of those comics, by emigres who'd escaped Europe and fled to America. So I also wanted to refer to that woodcut tradition.
0: Yep.
1: Um, one of those illustrations sort of references a Kath Kollowitz image, for instance. And I think that's a very strong tradition of graphic witnessing, if you like um which i wanted to bring into the the comic as well Um, and i love that i love um the way art and illustration is sometimes used um to tell you know to to do truth telling and witnessing Goya's Disasters of War comes to mind as well so all of those things have have really inspired me and i feel like those symbolic um appropriations are important to try and and, um, yeah, give a sense of things where where words don't quite um, do justice to to just how awful these experiences are, if that makes sense. Sometimes it was a good way also of making historical references to previous migrations. So one of the black and white illustrations is um, um, an adaptation of a painting by a pre-Raphaelite, Um, artist from England in the Victorian era who did a painting about English um, migrants to Australia. So that's a conscious reference to the settlement and colonisation of Australia um, and how historically we all look, well Australians historically look so sympathetically on their convict heritage but also on the the migrants who came to settle this country. and it was important to sort of tie it to that. So there's those historical references as well to World War II, refugee waves, as well as the settlement of Australia. So those ways, those references help to kind of ironize our history, I hope, yeah. um, and also recast what's happening now in a different light.
0: Definitely, definitely. Uh, and I feel like uh, those kind of visual metaphors as well, They they... They often add a layer that uh, you know, it kind of distances you from the reality of it. But at the same time, it it adds a another that dimension that really makes you think about yeah. uh, you know, uh, it adds layers of of meaning uh, that uh, I feel like fantasy and horror are really good at that. You know, at, okay, I'm gonna take you to another world, or you know, to something that it's not real, but but you you can see the parallels, you know, and sometimes uh, those fantasy elements can actually allow you as, as a creator to to create metaphors for for real horrors, you know yes. um in a really powerful way. so definitely Absolutely. yeah, um, for
1: instance, and- of, yeah, think for instance of how Guillermo del Toro um uses fantasy um tropes in Pan's labyrinth to describe fascism like you know that's a great example that's, that's a-
0: actually that's actually one of my favorite movies of all time so thank oh, you okay. <laughs> yeah
1: yes and and
0: of course uh um you know coming from the bas country which is part of spain sure. uh looking at that movie you know he has so much to say about the spanish civil war and the dreams uh, yeah. uh the dreams of that time you know it was uh, it was a few years where there was a hope and a dream of a completely different world, you know, uh, and and then that was crushed by the fashion, but you yes. can still see traces of it, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and that melting phase, uh, by the way, uh, uh, at the end, that's interesting. You you mentioned that uh, you, the reference there was Hellraiser. Which is uh, one of my favorite horror movies. Okay. I, I didn't think of that though when when I read it. Uh, it actually reminded me of Robert Crumb because he uh-huh. has a very famous. I think it's um, I think it's six panel, uh, one page where he's. Uh, I think it's That's called right. stones again or something like yeah. that. Where his face kind of melts down.
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I wasn't consciously thinking that, but. Um... Yes, I have looked at a lot of Robert Crumb. There is that, it's, it's an acid trip or something and he starts melting, that's right. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's right. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Still Alive is a really monumental achievement in my opinion. Um, I, I really hope that this book is read widely um, and, um, and uh, you know, what's next for you now? Are you starting another graphic novel or, or, or you know, after six years, you think, well, maybe I'll do something small. <laughs>
1: um yeah well thanks so much first um I um that's it now it's a case of what am I going to do next I've got a few small creative projects which I'm working on which is a nice break it's sometimes very satisfying to do something um something small that gives you that reward sooner than a graphic novel um but I definitely want to start again on a long-form project. I'd like to do a couple of books over the next five to ten years, depending on how long they take. But I can't exactly say what's next at the moment. It's still that lovely process of playing with ideas, you know, and, and thinking of what I really want to do. I, I, I still, I do love autobiographical work. So I do want to do a long form autobiographical comic. So I've I've been chipping away at that, which is all about my childhood and and my family and um I guess my way of explaining myself to myself and to other people. So that's that's definitely one thing that that I'll release at some point down the track. Um, and I'm working on uh just just for self-therapy if nothing else. Um mm-hmm. But then, yeah, I'd love to do some new books, but I'm not sure at the moment. Can't really say what's next.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, we definitely look forward to seeing more of what you come up with. Uh, oh, thanks, sure so. it'll be interesting. Um, of course, uh, finally, we always ask our guests to tell us about three comics or graphic novels that they've read recently, or three graphic novels they would like to recommend, or or three graphic novels that maybe relates on how to still alive, or whatever way you wanna take it. Or, or comics, it can be a web comic as well. Like I don't mind.
1: Oh sure, so, um, sure thing. I recently read uh, the anthology Drawing Power, which is published by Abrams Books, which is an anthology of women's comics recounting experiences of sexual violence uh, harassment and survival um, and that's a really powerful collection of stories which addresses many different dimensions of patriarchal violence against women and you know male culture toxic masculinity and power yeah. I think that that I just finished that and that that really impressed me I I feel like that's something more people need to read.
0: Definitely. It's a very powerful anthology and it actually also has about three or four um, Australian creators as well. So so um, definitely one to have at libraries. Uh, we have so, it at my library. So. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> Good to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And they're very strong contributions as well. So um, that's essential reading, I think. Um, What else? I'm also writing an essay at the moment about Australian comics, um, in which I get to talk about some of my contemporaries, um, because I feel like at the moment, there's a very exciting upsurge of work by people from very diverse backgrounds. Until very recently, Australian comics have largely been done by white men, it has to be said. Um, and the the surveys show this but just in the last five or ten years there's been an explosion of work by people from diverse backgrounds which is really exciting and a lot of that work is autographic work a lot of it is Mm -hmm. very powerful um, examples of people claiming space and putting forward their you know stories and experiences so um, I've been reading, yeah, work of, of a fellow contemporary Australian artists in that context. So one example is Claudia Cinyere Akole. She did a fantastic comic about Black Lives Matter and why, how that applies in the Australian context and her experience of blackness in this, of being black in this country. Um, and so that's an amazing um, example. Also my friend, Samuel Beattie, he does, incredible comics about his experience of being a trans person and transitioning. Um, And so his work addresses gender and subjectivity and embodiment and sexuality in a really interesting way as well. Uh, Samuel Warman, Sam Warman's an inspiration as well. He's done so many fantastic comics um, about Australia and Australian history. So yeah, there's a really exciting explosion of contemporary work going on, which I think will produce amazing graphic novels in the next decade or two. So that's really, you know, those are some names to look out for. Rachel Ung also does brilliant um, reflective, philosophical, biographical type comics as well. So sorry, I'm just throwing names at you, but yeah, yeah, there's, there's a lot of really interesting things happening at the moment.
0: Yeah, definitely. Really, um, really interesting work uh, being published, definitely. Um, when when you publish that um, essay, uh, you know, uh, keep us posted.
1: Sure, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah,
0: so, w- we'd love to hear about it. Uh,
1: yeah, definitely. absolutely.
0: Well, um, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope that Still Alive really finds its way into a lot of schools and libraries. and. Um, and, uh, you know, it finds the readership that, that it really, really deserves. It's a, it's, it's a monumental work and, you know, it really deserves to be read and it's an important story.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you, Jorgi. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Alia Graphic Podcast. Hit the subscribe button on our YouTube page and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Alia Email us at aliagraphicinfo at gmail.com and check our blog, aliagraphic.blogspot.com for updates, monthly roundups of news and new release titles.